This is Melanie Ake. Today on Everyday Leaders, you'll meet Taru Clavel, a world-class educator and author of World Class. She's discovered that our perspective is everything in life and that her journey was designed to inspire cultural awareness to improve the world. I'm really excited to share what's happening at Everyday Leaders. Go to everydayleaders.com. Subscribe to my website where you can learn strategies to become a leader in your own life. On the everydayleaders.com podcast page, you can connect to the guest of the 2019 Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 Leadership Summit and listen to your favorite episodes of the Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. Now, if you're ready to take the next step and become a leader in your own life, go to my Everyday Leaders store, select the Life Strategies courses, corporate strategy workshops, or even personal coaching. Go to everydayleaders.com, subscribe and keep up to date on all of our programs and valuable leadership lessons. When you subscribe to Everyday Leaders, you'll be entered into our monthly giveaway to receive a round to it. If you need accountability in your life, this is a great way to start. Go to everydayleaders.com and become a leader in your life. Welcome to the program, Taru Calavelle, Everyday Leaders 50 and 50. Thanks for coming on tonight. It's such a pleasure, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is wonderful. Your journey is all about your experience in being uh, into your profession, into your leadership, and, and into education for the world as a journalist. And you've got a book coming out called World Class. It's going to be released here soon. And, and we invited you to the program because I think everything that you stand for is about leading your own life with success. So I am just wanting to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on and sharing your journey. I appreciate that, really. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. So being a mother, you know, we talk about education. Our family is full of educators. And so, mm. you know, throughout the years in America, so many things have just been the way that they are. And your journey is a little bit different. So people that don't know your story, how did your influence from being a mother uh, to watching the education system, how did all this change your opinion of how things could be and could be better? That's such a good question. Um, I will start with my background, which is that I was born to a Japanese, a first-generation Japanese immigrant mother. So my home was always bicultural and my family lived in Japan. So I spent a lot of time in Japan growing up, mostly in the summers. And I did spend summers going to school in Japan. And my first language is also Japanese. Mm -hmm. So then fast forward when I went, uh, when I became a mother and I had the opportunity to live overseas with my three children in 2006, we left New York City and went to Hong Kong. We were there for four years. And then from 2010, we're in Shanghai for two years. And then from 2000, 
2012 to 2016, I know it's a little bit of whiplash, 2012 to 16 were in Tokyo, and then from 16 to 18 in Palo Alto, and then just recently last summer moved back to New York City. And to address your question, I would say that my personal background with my raising my children and enrolling them, not in international schools where we lived, but in the local public schools, influenced me to go back to school in 2011 to pursue a master's in comparative international education, which then led me to a career in journalism Mm -hmm. and then ultimately led me to write this book, which is coming out in a few weeks. And what may be a little different about my perspective is that I was really socialized to be a parent within the cultures and communities of East Asia. Mm-hmm. And that's on top of my having been raised in a significantly Asian home within the United States. So I come back to the United States in 2016 and have three children in the public schools of Palo Alto, California, which is considered one of the best school districts within California, which has the most public schools of any state in our country. And I had this context for comparison whereby I saw there was significant teacher turnover and teachers resigning um, at, a, at a pretty high rate. There was an education funding model whereby in Palo Alto they were spending roughly $19,000 per pupil, whereas in other parts of the state it's significantly lower. And then you look at other states where, like in Utah, they're spending just over $6,000 per pupil. And I started seeing things through a very different lens because I didn't have these same issues while I was in East Asia, where there were high expectations, the teacher's turnover was very low, um, and even at base level in Japan, the school lunches were a part of the curriculum. And in the U.S., I was very surprised that my middle school boys were able to eat French fries, hot dogs, and hamburgers and pizza every day if they wanted. Mm-hmm. So there were there were a lot of things that became very apparent to me, uh, which pushed me to think, okay, I have to write a book about what I'm learning, what we can do to look at a different model to reconsider what we're doing in the U.S. So when we talk about leadership, you know, we talk about influence and the things that we learn that we want to try to express to others. And when you decided, like, hey, I want to go back and I want to become a journalist, I want to learn about this, how to create, get the story, right, understand the story, and then create your impression from that. And and so through going through that experience, um, being able to kind of, as you say, look at the world in a different lens, I think it's so important that people have that perspective to be able to say just because things are the way that they are doesn't mean that they can maybe continue that way, right, to be better for our society. Yes. And I and, think, yes. You know, go ahead. It's interesting that you bring this up. It's not something I talk about publicly, but while I was pursuing my master's, I had this little hiatus because I was looking for approval for my graduation thesis, and it had to go through a pretty complicated approval process because my research was being conducted in Japanese and there were translation issues. And during that time, because I was so used to working at a pretty, at a pretty vigorous, I guess, uh, rate, um, staying, you know, taking care of three children and also working all night long to complete my master's work, I had this dead time. 
And there were so many issues in education that were really getting to me. And I thought, what can I do about this? So I started writing articles and not knowing a thing about journalism at the time, I, of course, thought, oh, I'm just going to get an op-ed published in the New York Times because there are so many education articles there. They're just going to publish whatever I want to write about. And I got outright rejected. And I was, you know, it was this, what? They rejected me? But of course, now in hindsight, I look at that and say, everybody gets rejected from the New York Times because everybody wants to get in there. Mm -hmm. And it put a bigger fire under me to say, okay, I have to work hard to get my message out. And it didn't stop me. It really motivated me where it led me then to have a regular column in the Japan Times about education. Um, and so when, it, when you ask or when you talk about what I can change and how to better society, I feel like I'm very mission-driven. And it's okay if, if I get criticized or there were times I wrote articles and people sent me very angry emails. Um, that's amongst some really wonderful emails as well. But my attitude was always, thank you so much for taking the time to not only read my work, excuse me, but to also reach out to me and say, you feel this way because somewhere I made you think. Mm -hmm. And as long as I can do that, my purpose is fulfilled because we have to continue having conversations about education if we are to move the needle. Absolutely. And so many times, you know, it's that it's that larger thinker. It's that one person that inspires. Uh, you talk to so many people and say, well, we've all thought about it before. You sit around a campfire and you say, well, what if we could change one thing, right? What would the one thing be that we would change? And then you think about creative ways to solve those problems. And you come at this from such a different perspective because, as you said, you were raised differently with kind of the different cultural background to look at this from being very young, right? Going Experiencing this yourself, and then seeing your children go through it and saying, what else could we do to strengthen this in our society to have a better culture in America? And so I think it's it's so interesting um, as we all talk about the education system, you know, in uh, in, in politics and religion and then education, right? It's like right Absolutely. up there that you say, yeah. how can we influence our next generations to be stronger and better? And that's what leadership is about. And so, you know, working on your master's, if you would not have, and just think about this, Taru, if you had not decided to take on your master's and really take this on as a thesis, you know, what other kind of components do you think you would have been able to use to get your message out? Ooh, that's a tricky question. For me, I feel like the master's, was everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't been in school for, at that point, I'll average it out to say 20 years old. I don't <laughs> want to reveal too much about my age. Um, but let's say about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 didn't, I was not educated in the era of the internet. Mm-hmm. So thinking, okay, so I'm going to do this stuff online and I'm going to print maybe one article a week and maybe I'll post something sometimes. And I was schooled. You know, I had to suddenly read hundreds, if not thousands of pages of scholarly articles a week and write all these papers. And again, I hadn't written anything probably in roughly 20 years. So it was this incredible, just cathartic time in my life 
where everything, I suddenly questioned my own schooling. I questioned my values, the way I was raising my children, and then how I was going to approach the rest of my life. And being challenged with living in these foreign countries and how I was viewing the host cultures where I was not only living, but educating my kids was, it was, it was like all the clouds were parting on a constant, very rapid speed. Um, so when you ask me what I would have done without my master's, it's very, very difficult for me because it was really, I am so indebted to and grateful for all my professors because I feel like they were all my, my, my mentors mm -hmm. on, on many levels. Um, if I hadn't have done that, I think the road that I took in terms of educating my children and putting them in the public schools would have been much more muddied. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I would have even done that. Isn't that amazing? I, I, Isn't, yeah. I, but I love asking that question to you because, you know, I think about so many people that don't invest in their own journey. Right. And that just mm -hmm. speaks exactly to your journey. You took the step to kind of say, there's something more important. There's something more that I need to investigate. And as you continued to kind of dive into it, you know, it just, it, it fueled your passion. And even though you didn't have the resources of, hey, I didn't grow up with the internet. I didn't do this. I'm going back to school after so many years. But it still, it was a passion within your soul that kept you going and focused. And, and so now your journey is kind of like, hey, I can be this, this world-class educator, right, for multicultural generations to say, look, we, we can fix this, right? <laughs> if we know about yeah. it, if we're aware about it, maybe we can influence uh, the, the changes that maybe can happen in this, this next uh, group of generation for our society. I, that's, that's really true. I feel like from my own personal journey, there were a lot of forks in the road and you have to make a lot of decisions and be open to any possibilities that may come your way. And there were times when as basic as I am not going to be at pickup today because I have the opportunity to have an amazing interview with one of the top people in the Ministry of Education in Tokyo, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, or when, let me think about this. <laughs> when I decide, okay, I am going to not pursue a life in academia. This was a big decision for me because I was actually going to pursue a doctorate in education at Johns Hopkins. And I had this opportunity to pursue journalism, to continue with that, or to go back. And after deferring at Johns Hopkins three times, they said, okay, this is enough. We're not going to continue your, <laughs> your acceptance here. Um, these, are, these are decisions that I made because I felt like I would not be as useful in a research capacity within a university mm -hmm. as being out there in the public speaking about these issues. Mm -hmm. And so... And then, so when I came back to the U.S., another thing that I don't really talk about um, is I did enroll in a second master's of education, um, a master's of teaching at USC. And I was halfway through when I got my book deal for, for world class. And I decided to stop that master's 
and not complete it. I mean, maybe at some point I will. I have a five-year window to do so, but I thought it was much more important for me to get my book out than to continue my master's. So I, I think I've, I've had to make some decisions, and I'm, so far I'm, I'm happy with them, but I think it's about knowing what your deeper purpose is. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it's also knowing what your talents are and where your best where they're best put to use. Absolutely. So many things that we learn in school, right? And we go back to this whole uh, concept that we're talking about, which is education. How do you become educated to where you can use those things that you've learned into your life skill and your capacity? And so your journey is all about this. Thinking about, you know, going halfway through your master's of teaching, but thinking about you had the opportunity to have this book where you can reach millions of people, Millions of readers mm-hmm. that can connect to this purpose, uh, and I follow Simon Sinek so much, and and all this purpose of this why, mm-hmm. right? The why mm-hmm. that drives you, that keeps you up at night, that that just inspires you to say, I need to tell people about this. I I think it can change your life, uh, and so I I really see that that's your purpose, right? You're supposed to be this greater educator for all of us. That's so kind. Thank you. <laughs> it's so true because it comes authentically, you know, and we talk about the things um, in leadership of awareness and trade-offs and environments, and you've experienced so many of those. You've changed environments to realize that things are not always the same. And just by taking a different perspective, that will bring you into kind of this this core um, synergy or or calmness, right? Because then you can really look at things differently and say, yeah, but it's not always like that. And so being able to share that from from your experience and now from your children's experience, I'm dying to ask you this question. <laughs> your kids, as they've walked through this and they had all of these changes going on, and I'm sure it's in your book, but, <laughs> but, yes. but your kids, what is their opinion of learning in all these different cultures and um and, and what they're going to do next in their life because of this experience? I actually love that question because I feel like everybody across society, regardless of how, where, what circumstances you were born into, has a greater purpose. My children I raised to believe that they have a larger purpose within our greater society. And Somehow I want them to employ their experiences having had to adapt to so many different cultures to their futures. And again, in whatever capacity they may choose. So my kids think it's pretty normal to be moving around every two to four years to the point where I'm a little nervous that they don't think New York is home because for me, New York is home. Like this is it. This is, this is where the train ends. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if next year, since it will have been two years that we're in New York, they say, okay, now where are we going? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like they, they need to, and they do understand that they are really small players, but can be influential, influential within a much larger context of the world. Mm-hmm. And when they read the news or when they contribute to their communities, there's a much bigger picture. Um, another interesting thing about my kids too, is the cultures that they relate to, because the formative years of my oldest son's uh, education, James, those were in, in Hong Kong and China in preschool and in early elementary school. So he, his pre-eight-year-old brain is much more 
let's say, competitive and high academic standards and high expectations. My middle son is really a mix between Japan and China, and my youngest is, is very much more Japanese in her mentality. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting to see how they continue to play these, I guess, personas out as they grow up. Mm-hmm. Talk about research, you know, being able to leave your legacy and influence on them and knowing how they have been influenced with these cultures. What an amazing life to kind of follow that. (laughs) That's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel a little guilty that they're kind of guinea pigs, but I, but I did try my best and I hope, I hope they're appreciative. I hope, fingers crossed. Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they probably don't even really appreciate yet you know, what's going to come at them, the opportunities, because they will think so differently. Uh, So, you know, so many families, Asian families are coming over to America for so many reasons. I mean, we've got so many cultures in America today. And the influence of being able to say, I'm either born here or I have, you know, the behaviors um, of the cultures. And so when you talk about the study habits, right, just the inherent study habits of what you do first, you know, the prioritizing, and, and that comes from a lot of the family influence, you know, and then in American education, you know, so many of us say, well, it's not just the teacher's responsibility. It's not the school system's responsibility to take that on uh, to encourage kids. And so what you've um, kind of found, I think, I guess I just want your opinion on a couple of ways that you think uh, would be important for the the American culture school, uh, one through 12, right? So our formal education. What do you think is something synonymous that could maybe make a big impact in the schools today? There are so many areas, and I think it's really important to do a deep dive into the specific variables that influence your particular school. And it's not only, it's not even the district, it's actually the specific school. And to get even more granular, it's the classroom because Mm -hmm. we are such a diverse country and each classroom teacher can teach completely differently than the classroom next door that has the same, that's teaching the same with the teacher that's teaching the same grade level. So true. So different, different areas that I would assess would be something that, I believe Japan does beautifully is the community model where every stakeholder, whether it be a teacher, administrator, legislator, parent, or student, or even those without kids, they all really look out for one another. And that's why the children at age, one of the reasons why the children at age six are so independent and get around the country on their own, because everybody has a watchful eye on those kids. Another area is, levels of mastery and having high expectations and knowing, having that mindset that every child can succeed and raising the expectations so that everybody can move upwards instead of lowering them so that everybody can meet them more easily. Um, Other areas are keeping the communication and that transparency very open between the teacher, the student, and the parent. And in An example from Shanghai is that there was a 40-plus page report card that came home on every subject, and not only did the teacher write the report, but the parent and separately the student had to make a comment on it as well. So it's a very 
collaborative and cooperative relationship there that's supporting the educational outcomes of the child. And in Japan, there is a journal that goes back and forth between the parent and the student. I'm sorry, the parent, well, the student as well, and the teacher called the Dendakjo. And it could the parent could write anything from my child doesn't feel well today. Maybe you can keep a lookout for him or her. Or the teacher could say, you know, your student didn't do so well on this test. It's just an FYI. Maybe you can work with him on this or, you know, just to let you know, he may, may need a little more extra help. And the child can also write um, the homework assignments for the day or any kind of a note to the teacher. And that goes back and forth every single day. Wow. So that's the kind of relationship that I believe parents, teachers, and students should have. Those are a few examples. Um, and I, and I want to clarify too, I don't want to say that I think Japan has a better system overall or, or the Shanghai school system is better. There are definitely schools and pockets within the United States that are thriving because they get so many of the issues that I observed in East Asia right. Everything from equity to valuing education, the idea of mastering globalization and community and parent involvement. It's just instead of having pockets in the United States, I wish it were more of the norm and not the minority of schools that are doing this. Mm-hmm. More the just the conventional way to just approach our society, right? And and it is uh, different. And I think, you know, through the years when you had the one classroom, right? <laughs> when, when we yeah. started America, things were different because we had more control. And now we have so many influences that, that come at us and just the system itself. But I think you're right on target with saying, you know, it, it does start in the classroom. And so you having uh, the same subjects next door to each other uh, in a school, you could have the different influences just because of the approach. And, and so that goes to having teachers, you know, invest in their own skill level and, and communication with those parents and being able to kind of step forward right, and do unconventional things maybe in this society that that says it's really tough. You've got a lot on you. You've got 35 students in your room, and how do you make that personal touch and that personal influence um, to to increase that awareness, right, with um, the responsibilities of the parent and the child and uh, and back to the community? I love that message. If this book can empower all of these stakeholders to get a little more creative and think about the issues that are discussed, I think we are moving one step, if not several steps, closer to helping our children be more competitive um, in, a, in a much more globally competitive world. Um, that would be that would that would be brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, true, Clavel. I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the program and encouraging, you know, this is all about inspiring leadership. And I can't wait to get your book. Uh, I'm going to pre-order it tonight. And as it comes out, I want everybody uh, that is in my family and and my connections that are teachers, I think we should all be reading this. We should start book studies on it. And I cannot wait to follow you and meet you in person. I'm going to come to New York and meet you in person. (laughs) And I, I would love that. Oh, my gosh. I wish the best to you. I think your message is critical. Uh, to helping our societies for the future. And so I just uh, thank you very, very much for coming on the program tonight. 
And thank you so, so much. Thank you very, very much. So the Today Show, before I take this off, if you haven't seen the Today Show on August the 20th, August 21st, 21st. August 21st <laughs> Today Show, um, you will be highlighted for your book, World Class, that will be coming out on August the 20th. So uh, we want to get this message out, get this pre-ordered, get this book in your hands. If you've got teachers in your life, if you are a teacher, if you have kids that want to become teachers, this could really change our whole culture. So kudos to you. Congratulations to you, Taru. And again, thank you for being an everyday leader. It's an honor. Thank you very, very much. Hi, I'm Melanie Ake with Everyday Leaders. I wanted to invite you to join my leadership class. It's Life Strategies 101, where I'm going to take you through the everyday 15 laws of growth. It's an amazing journey. It's 15 weeks with me as your personal coach. Join me, everydayleaders.com, and sign up today.